that was how to make the elixir of life and holy grail. Next up. I'm a mortal. Your source for all things immortal. My name is Sylvia Kohn, professor of East Asian studies and religion at Boston University. I've been retired for about 15 years, and I now run a publishing company called Three Pines Press. I also run organized tours, hiking tours to Japan, because in the course of my studies, which focus on Taoism, I spent 10 years in Kyoto, Japan, and I love to go back. And so I have a website called Livia Tours Japan. And I also run the International Conference on Taoist Studies, for which we also have a website and a Facebook page called Taoist Conference. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. This is a fascinating topic, and I'm very excited to talk about Great. So let's start off. Our podcast is called I'm Immortal, a little bit of a pun on the buzzword immortal. So we like to ask all of our guests, what does the word immortal or immortality mean to you? Oh, well, thank you for this very important question. I should start by saying that the whole question of immortality has been the milestone and key pillar of my career in Taoist studies. When I first started to get introduced to Taoism, I was at the University of California in Berkeley in the 70s. And I had classes in Taoism and also in Chinese culture and language. And many people were telling me just how sophisticated the Chinese were and how complicated their language is and how high level their intelligence was. And then at the same time, I was reading books on Taoism. And I said, oh, these Taoists, they want to become immortal. How dumb is that? And it's like, there's something wrong here. I mean, they're either highly intelligent or they're totally dumb. <laughs> and so my, <laughs> the solution I came up with is that we do not understand what they mean by immortality because, you know, the intelligence of the Chinese cannot be doubted. And so I spent my entire career studying immortality and for many different aspects. And so immortality to me is one of four different phenomena relating to life. So our human life, our lifetime on this earth, we distinguish the lifespan, which is the biological limit that the species has, which is 120 years. And the life expectancy, which is the kind of life that as you're born in a certain culture, in a certain year, you can expect to have. Now, from there, we have the phenomenon of longevity, which is an extension, a somewhat not too big, but somewhat extension of your life expectancy. So if your life expectancy in this culture is, say, 75 years, and you're healthy and vigorous. So longevity is not just length. It also means remaining vigorous, which is very important. And then you go to 80 or 85, then you're reaching longevity. Now, more recently, and also in traditional Taoism, we have the phenomenon of something called prolongevity. Prolongevity is an extension of this life expectancy and longevity into going even beyond the lifespan. So people who reach 120, 130, 150 are attaining prolongevity. And that's also a goal we have in the Taoist tradition. And that's something that's becoming very relevant today as more and more people get not only older and become, you know, get over to be over 100, but get really old. And then there's immortality, which is a completely different 
kettle of fish, really, because then you're not dying at all. I mean, even in prolonged longevity after 100 or 200, or in some cases, several hundred years, you're still moving on and being transformed and you're dying. But in immortality, you do not die. Mm-hmm. So out of all of these options, all these forms of longevity and even immortality itself, do you personally think you would want any of them? Or is it more, I prefer the life I have so far? I like the life I have and I like longevity, especially with this increased vigor. I'd see in our kind of society, a lot of problems with prolongevity, partly because there's only going to be a select few people. And this is a problem people that are getting very old. It's like all your friends die and you're like on your own and you're alone. And then you you also have like society and the culture changes. And even if you're aging very slowly, if you're still aging, you know, you you sort of miss the way things were. (laughs) So I'd like longevity, you know, maybe up to 90 or so, but I'm, I'm really not too much of a fan. On the other hand, immortality in the Taoist tradition, which is what we'll be talking about some more, involves sort of like the attainment of a mystical, a quasi-mystical state where you start to float along with the currents of the universe. And so, yes, your physical body at some point falls away, but you're attaining a spiritual kind of survival, a spiritual level of immortality. And that is something I'm also quite in favor of. Okay, so before we jump more into like what Taoists think of immortality, you, you highlighted a brief point here. Do you mind just telling our listeners about like what is Taoism and what do Taoists yes. believe in? Taoism is the indigenous higher religion of China, and it began about 500 BC with a philosopher who was known as Lao Tzu and a classical text known as the Book of Tao and Virtue or Tao De Jing. And it divides into three different categories or different types of practices and understanding. The first is the philosophical, where you think of Tao as the power that underlies the universe, the core energy of life, uh, something that is at the origin of everything, but it's also pervades everything. And so Tao is like the flow of things, the natural flow of things. And we human beings are part of this flow, but we also have the power to get away from it. And so there's the idea of harmony, of going with the flow is very important in the philosophy. And the philosophical tradition has continued to the present day. There's still many translations and interpretations of the ancient texts. There are other philosophical writings that have been produced over the centuries. So we have a very vibrant philosophical, intellectual kind of tradition. We call it literati Taoism or the intellectual dimension of it. And then we have an organized religion, which started around 200 ADs in the wake of um, the philosophy, where the philosopher Lao Tzu is transformed into a representative of Tao. So he becomes a deity that represents Tao. We have creation myth where Tao becomes this god. We have all kinds of other deities. We have several layers of heaven. We have a priesthood ritual. Everything we we associate with organized religion. And in this group, in this organized religious setting, we have many different schools where individual seekers 
um, go into altered states of consciousness and connect to some deities and receive information from the heavens and then start their own groups. Today, we have two major schools in the organized religious dimension of Taoism, the Orthodox Unity or Celestial Masters, which is the continuation of the original first Taoist group from the second century. And their headquarters is in southern China, and they're very strong in Taiwan and in Hong Kong, and they're increasingly stronger in the mainland. They're a lay group, so the priests are married. Um, they're very much into community rituals, purifications, weddings, funerals. Many like life events are being celebrated, um, like opening a business and things like this. They do feng shui for houses. So it's a very community-oriented religion that comes with a lot of rituals and an organized hereditary, essentially, priesthood. And the other group is called Complete Perfection. The headquarters is in Beijing. It's a monastic organization where people leave the household, become monks or nuns, and practice personal internal cultivation, mostly internal alchemy and energy transformation. And their goal is really the transcendence of this kind of life and immortality. So immortality is very central to the monastic school. They also perform some rituals. They're involved in, in like several of the city god temples in mainland China are being run by complete perfection clerics, but their main thrust is monastic and towards immortality. And then the third group of Taoists are what I call longevity or health practitioners. The Chinese technical term is yangsheng, which means nourishing life. Those are the people who practice Tai Chi and Qigong and internal cultivation, meditation, who don't belong to a particular sect, who usually are familiar with the philosophical readings and have, are inspired by philosophy, but they're not really all that intellectual about it. And those are people who are really into the kind of practices that we'll be talking about some more. Just before we move on, when you say not intellectual about it, well, what I mean exactly that they're really mean? not sitting down and writing commentaries. They're not sitting down and having intellectual ah. discussions. They're not just sitting down and writing poetry. Mm. So, so the verbal part of things is it's they read the books, they, they maybe go to a talk and they get inspired, but the way they express it is in practice as opposed to more talk. <laughs> ah. Okay, great. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay, on the same note, because I was doing a little bit of reading of Taoism, and one of the chapters you wrote in the book we have here, and a little bit on your own work, Taoism, as you mentioned, seems very practical. Like, for example, some Christian friends I have heavily emphasize they need to go to church every Sunday, right? But Taoism seems more like what you do, less than, I guess, what you might believe in for some people. Is it's there a, a feature that's is? common to all Asian religions. Um, Hinduism is the same way. Taoism is the same way. Shinto is the same way. It's a general tendency that religion is what you do as opposed to what you believe. And it's, it's the odd one out is really the Western tradition. Even in Western religions, like ancient Rome, ancient Greece, a lot of the mystery cults, even in early Christianity, it's what you do that counts. Judaism, it's like what your daily life is, you know, whether you keep a kosher kitchen, your community engagement. I mean, it's what you do that defines who you are and what your calendar is 
and how you organize your life. And that is what classifies religion. The emphasis on belief is a, is a Western thing that's to my understanding from a perspective of world religion is really the odd one out. It's the definition of religion really is what you do. Mm -hmm. So jumping over a little bit to the Asian countries, how has Taoism influence developments in Chinese it's been society there. it's a way of relating to nature it's a way of it's a counterculture in many ways so the tendency even mm. in very ancient China is for the people in power to be very pushy to take you know away from the poor to start wars to be aggressive and so Taoists have always sort of been the counterbalancing point there and sort of say you know hey take a step back you know relax you know you can do the same thing but do it a little more slowly why do you have to have progress at all mean why do you have to have a bigger country you know you're already wealthy you know so 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 it's a it's always been this sort of balancing factor in the emphasis on moving along with things of of looking at like feng shui would be an example where you're really consciously working to integrate with nature and to have look at the whole context and fit into things sort of smooth things out so it's a balancing point towards more power hungry and aggressive kind of tendency just before we jump into more of the longevity based questions could you clarify what feng shui is? Because I feel like people will just think it's moving furniture around and they'll have some okay, sort of Okay, yeah, feng shui, um, the, the bit, term uh, really means wind and water. It's originally, it goes back to burial site. It goes back to the belief that the, the souls and spirits of the dead have an impact on the fate of the living. And if the dead are not buried correctly, then they're not happy or not contented, and then they start haunting people. And so it's, it started out with you have to put the burial in, or the site, the tomb, in a specific direction and have specific measurements for it and have the right time of interment and so on and so forth. And then people expanded that idea towards the houses of the living, and they found that if you orient your house in a certain way, in a certain direction, like facing south, you get the sunlight, and then your spirits are up and you feel better. And if you have like a little hillside behind you, then that gives you a feeling of protection. And if there's certain kinds of trees around, it gives you like shade and it gives you smooth energy. And if they have a little river in front or some lake or a little water, then it gives you, you know, that feeling of being connected to the water part. And also it gives you um, nourishment. So, so gradually they, they started to find ways to place houses into the environment that would not disrupt the environment. And the other part of feng shui is the understanding that Every organism is like a human body, like the earth is a living organism. It's not just dead rocks. And so they talk about the hills looking like a tiger or a dragon. And so you don't want your, your house um, like right on the nose of the dragon because the dragon might get annoyed <laughs> and it might be an earthquake or it might have landslide or, you know, um, or you don't want it on the tail of the tiger. So you're looking at at hills as having their own power in other words. And the other concept in this, like, like human bodies have like the blood vessels and arteries. And so the earth also has arteries. 
And so you don't want to interrupt the flow of energy through the earth. So you want to place your house in such a way that it fits in. And then once you have your house, then yes, was in the compound. I mean, you may have more than one building. You sort of arrange your buildings in a particular way that they create harmony and that, you know, your kitchen is not right next to your toilet. And so you have... Um, certain basic things. And then once you have furniture, you place it in such a way that it gives you a maximum of satisfaction and well-being. And the idea is that the, the chi, the vital energy flows through the space in the most possible, harmonious, most harmonious manner. Mm -hmm. Before we jump into longevity again, I just wanted to ask, you know, before we live longer, we have to understand what is death. So how does Taoism view death? Is it a end, a transition, um, Yes, well, state? death is something that I have to go a little further afield because modern science has recognized it. And I have a book which just came out. It's called Taming Time. And it talks about one of the chapters is about biological time or a biotemporality, which is the time as it flows in the human body. And in that chapter, I talk about how in the early stages of the universe and also on the quantum level of existence that is still there, there is no such thing as death. There's only transforming transmutation of energies. And then even when you get to the stars and the big like galactic kind of entities, you don't have death either. You have cessation. They end. At some point, their fuel runs out. And they go supernova or explode or just, you know, sort of dissolve. But there's no death. And then even on the human plane, like plants, they keep on changing. They don't, we talk of them as dying, but they really don't. And death, um, people have found, is directly linked in terms of evolution to sexual reproduction. So the idea of having entities or beings of two sexes and coming together and reproducing is a very handy one in terms of evolution because you have two gene poles and they come together and those genes mix and if there's a certain gene that hasn't been functioning well enough it can be gotten rid of really quickly so mutations are easy in sexual reproduction. The downside of sexual reproduction is that the organism that develops then has this built-in aging pattern and eventually there's death. And so this is very highly relevant to the Taoist situation because that's how Taoists see immortality or longevity. They see the life expectancy we have as a function of sexual energy. And they call this Jing, which we translate as vital essence. And vital essence is something that we receive at birth genetically through the parents, but it's coming from heaven and earth. And everybody has a certain amount of Jing or primordial, original, parent-given, heaven-given vital essence. And then as we live, we interact with our environment and we interact on the basis of chi and chi vital energy comes into our bodies through air and food and drink and also social and sexual interaction and each time we interact that chi that we take in mingles with the jing with the essence we already have and then it gets expanded as we live 
And so over a natural life cycle, and that's been described first in the Chinese medical classic, the internal classic of internal medicine of the Yellow Emperor, the Huangdi Neijing. In this text, it talks about um, for females, it's a seven-year cycle, and for males, it's an eight-year cycle. And so in the first five, seven or eight years, the Jing gradually starts to awaken, and then it gets more, it starts to really rouse in what we would call puberty and it reaches its high point in like the 20s and maybe early 30s and then it starts to decline and so by the 60s and 70s it's used up and then once the jing is gone you die so so jing is like which is sexual energy vital essence is like the core so that's how Taoists explain Uh, longevity. It's a function of Jing. So as a sort of follow-up, just because I was reading about some of the Abrahamic religions, and they emphasize the body as very important in terms of reincarnation or resurrection, where it's not just the soul or mind as a concept, it's the whole person and their body. So in terms of Jing, is that connected to the person's body? Or is it connected to more of their identity or soul? Like how important is the body in terms of- It's essential. Jing is physical. Jing is your body. Your mind comes into it as a function. It's everything is qi or energy. And your body is a slightly more condensed, grosser, thicker, slightly slower vibrating kind of qi. And your mind and spirit are faster- subtler, more rapidly moving forms of chi, but they're sort of, they're closely interconnected. So there's, there's a unity there. Okay. We've talked about in terms of the practicality of Taoism before, and it, a lot of it seems like it would promote a longer life. But I was wondering if people who practice Taoism, do they truly seek as long a life as possible or even immortality? Or is it just the way of life in terms of Taoism longer life comes as a It's a mutual relationship. It varies. One of the big characteristics of Taoism is that it's highly individualized. A very typical pattern is that somebody is, you know, living their life along happily, and then some kind of ailment comes in. So whether it's because of an accident or whether it's because, you know, of some, some other event, you know, some inherited thing, or whether it's because of their lifestyle, whatever it is, there's this big ailment that comes in and it's like, okay, they try this medicine and that medicine, some other medicine, and it doesn't work. And then they come in contact with some person who practices Qigong and lo and behold, very small steps, but things change. And then it's like, oh, okay, what's going on here? And they start to learn about Qi and then they restore their health. And then once they got to that point, it's like, hey, I'm enjoying these practices. They're very good for me. I have a lifestyle that's sustainable. Why not keep going? And so your level of health is like this level and you've dipped down and gotten sick. You worked your way back up to your original health level, but then, hey, why stop here? So you keep going. And so you attain longevity. Some people, from the word go, they're healthy already. They've heard about it. They read literature. 
and they say, oh, this is fascinating stuff. Let me try it. And then they don't have the sickness. They just are getting interested. And then they start to practice. Some people grow up in a Taoist community and they're regularly doing Qigong because that's just what they do. And, oh, you know, then longevity is a consequence of that they're already Taoist. So it's like, you know, there's no one size fits all on this one. So what exactly are some of the longevity techniques that Taoists follow or practice? We classify the techniques in a number of different ways. There's, um, There's the healing techniques. So for people who have a compromised health situation, Um, You do use essentially methods of Chinese medicine. There's acupuncture, there's herbs, there's usually dietary prescriptions, and there's gentle exercises, and then some kind of basic meditations. And then sexual control is a big deal too. And then you move into the more, they already have attained health. And again, you do the same thing. You have breathing practices where you consciously breathe deeply with from your belly, There's like gentle movements and some are like standing practices. Most Qigong is in the standing position, but you can also have like lying down practices, um, seated practices. There's meditations where you internally move the qi through the different organs or you visualize your organs in different colors to put different energies. You talk to your organs and say, hello, heart, how are you today? You know, are you happy? And it's like, yes. (laughs) um, um, There's dietary methods. The thing is that the methods are always very similar but the emphasis sort of shifts and the modality shifts. And so, for example, if you're looking at diet, ordinary Chinese people eat a lot of rice, everything is cooked and they eat uh, meat usually, you know, chicken and pork and beef. And so if you're in in a health situation, you need to improve your health, then people may tell you, depending on what exactly your condition is, Um, Well, you should eat more sour foods or you should eat less oily foods or you should eat, but you're essentially still eating a normal diet. But once you get to the longevity level, you start to be a little more selective and you go easier on the grain. There's a practice called bigu, which means avoiding grain. So you go easier on the grain and you go heavier on the vegetables. And you eat lighter overall. You may go easier on the meat. If you're a Taoist and you join a Taoist community, you become vegetarian. And then Taoists also avoid what they call the five pungent vegetables. And there are five vegetables that are all members of the allium family. And they include garlic and ginger and three different kinds of onions, like regular onions, shallots, and scallions. And so those, of course, are mainstays in Chinese regular diets. So here you're actually breaking away from your mainstream society. The the main reason they're given for this is that all these onions and garlic and ginger are very warming and they're increasing yang quality energy, which is rising, aggressive, pushy, you know, going out there, which is good if you're, you know, in your daily life, you're a laborer and you need to work hard. But if you're sitting in a monastery and all you do is do breathing exercises and sit in meditation, you don't really need that much yang energy. And on the contrary, it would be counterproductive because you'd be wanting to run around and do stuff. 
And so you have that level. And then once you get to immortality, people switch over into periods of fasting where they systematically reduce their food intake. They switch from vegetables to vegetable broth. They use a lot of like herbal supplements. Daoists in particular are very fond of the pine tree. Then things like ginger, which they eat in the regular diet and take out in the monastic diet, comes back in, but as an herbal supplement, as a very specific supplement for, you know, keeping the organs active. And then they get to the point where they just can live on chi, where they just inhale with like a breatharian, as some of the people talk about. You're using breath and air and just some water to survive. And, and some people do this kind of practice like every year for like a month, going a semi-retreat, because you, you know, as you're going into this, your body gets weaker and it adjusts and things. But once you get to the point where you don't need food anymore, the body starts to, you know, get active and quite strong. But there's a transition period. And then coming out of it also, you have to be very careful. You can't eat too much too fast, too soon. So that's an example for diet, but you use diet on the different levels and, and you're still using similar stuffs like, you know, ginger or other kind of vegetables, but you're using them differently depending on your level. So on the topic of ingesting and non-ingesting, we were doing some reading and we came across, I didn't think we'd come yeah. across it, but we came across alchemy and Taoism, which was very strange because alchemy i was reading they took some concoctions which they yes. knew contained maybe i think mercury which we know ends your life so how does that relate to the concept yes, of immortality there's a couple and of longevity? different things there's physiological or operative or outer alchemy and then there's internal energy-based alchemy so we have two different types and so the one you were just talking about is external or operative chemical alchemy which started as a way of actually trying to become immortal. And the idea was, it's a fairly primitive idea, but the idea was that because gold as a metal does not decay and does not change, if you ingest, and they still do this, they have like little gold flakes, which you can buy, like it looks like a salt shaker, but it's gold, gold flakes. And you put little gold flakes on your rice. Mm. <laughs> so the idea is that you, and that's like a Han Dynasty thing, like about 200 BC, they come up with this, um, that if you start to ingest some of these metals, then you can transform your internal system and become more like this metal, which of course it doesn't really work, but that was the idea. And mercury comes into it in the same way. And they did actually, to preserve corpses, they put mercury in the arteries as a way of preservation. And then alchemists came up with this substance called cinnabar, Cinnabar is a mineral, it's a sand, and it's sort of a reddish color. It's found on the banks of rivers. And you take the mineral and make it, uh, powder it into a sand, and you put it in a pot and you heat it up and it divides into its into mercury sulfide. It transforms into mercury sulfide. But if you keep on heating it, it reconstitutes itself and it becomes cinnabar again. And so this whole idea of this substance 
that has one form and it transforms into something else and then it reconstitutes was like this model of reconstituting your body and your identity and yourself in a new way. So in other words, immortality here is not the continuation of longevity, but a complete break. It's like you want to be something completely different. So you're transforming yourself into something entirely alien, essentially. And you're taking these substances and yes, your physical body dies, but some kind of some spiritual entity continues in, you know, in an immortal form. And then this, all this whole complex gets linked with the many deities that I talked about earlier, how Taoists have these many heavens and you have these gods in these heavens. And the belief was that you had a hierarchy of deities in those various heavens. And then like every hierarchy, there's like job openings every so often. And so people would be invited by the celestial administration to join their ranks. The practitioners would go into ecstatic states, like a shamanic journey and they would travel with their soul and meet all these otherworldly entities and there's all kinds of psychedelics and drugs involved in that too which are also body altering and mind altering so there's that whole part and then eventually somebody would receive like a summons like an order from the celestials to you know take the elixir and get yourself up here so it's like a way, um, I don't know if you remember this, it was many years ago, there was a, um, like a sect in California called Heaven's Gate. And they, they all had cut uh, off their yeah. hair and they, they looked like unisex. And then they thought, oh, we're now mm -hmm. moving on. We have connection to this otherworldly entity, to this galaxy out there. And then they all drank Kool-Aid or whatever it is they did. So, <laughs> so some chemical. And it's like the whole group committed essentially ritual suicide with the understanding that they'd be yeah. transported to this other galaxy. And I remember how everybody was like totally outraged. And then we're like, well, Taoists, yeah, that's what Taoists do. You know, I mean, that's like, yeah, that's, yeah one way of doing it <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't all that alien to us but but that's the kind of thinking yeah. where alchemy fits into the immortality spectrum mm. obviously Taoism has been around for a very long time over the years all the way to the 21st century today are there any major changes or how has longevity there have been a few changes um a lot of the practices are still very similar I mean, obviously, you now have um, your, your whole diet situation has changed since you can transport food longer yeah. distances. You have imported foods from other places. Um, you have, um, well, yeah, they did, even then they had pill forms and powder forms and tinctures. Um, so that hasn't changed a whole lot. The technology has had some input, but not all that much. I mean, that was still try to travel to all kinds of different mountains and they do a lot of walking as opposed to taking airplanes or buses. Um, so that's pretty much mm -hmm. stable. Um, the internal practices are pretty much the same. Uh, we don't have an actual operative alchemy like the kind we were talking about where people mix up you know, arsenic and um, mercury. 
um, we don't actually have that anymore. Um, and that sort of was phased out about a thousand years ago. And if people are still doing it, it's underground. Sexual techniques, um, which involve you know, re retaining, getting aroused, but then moving the arousal energies into the body rather than allowing it to exit the body. Um, those are still around, but again, semi-underground. Um, there's, there's not, if anything, the political climate forces people to do this in secret. And so that's a big change. In terms of the actual practices, what we do have is the Qigong forms and the forms of Tai Chi. Tai Chi, Tai Chi Chuan, uh, is a martial art that developed in the late, in the early 17th century and at the time of the Manchu conquest. And that has recently been really integrated into the Taoist curriculum. So that's a relatively new development. And every mountain and every monastery has their own form of Tai Chi. So there's a lot of new forms that are showing up, like the different kinds of Qigong, but it's, I don't see that big a difference because you may have had other kinds of physical practices that they did, but nobody ever wrote them down, so we don't know about them. Tradition has been pretty stable, really modulating itself depending on the political climate and, and the cultural setting. Okay. So going into the, I guess, future, because we spoke to some scientists and they each had their own sort of prediction of when life extension technology would come about. I guess this is a question that everybody is kind of uh, anticipating, which is, would Taoists be accepting of life extension technologies? Like, would it impact their practices in any way? Like, or what exactly are we talking about? Like, like, um, like growth hormones or, I mean... Mm. Say the seven hallmarks of aging could be cured or they weren't a thing anymore by 2050, where death by biological age no longer existed. Would Taoists, would they want to engage in that sort of technology or therapy? I'm sure there would be some Taoists that would and some Taoists that wouldn't. I mean, like, you know, any other group, um, there's, there's, I, I know um, quite a few Taoists who have like, the, the example I can give you is the whole internet technology. And, and I have um, one of my um, people I work with who is a Tai Chi master, and he, you know, I publish books with Three Pines Press and he likes every book that I produce. He's very interested in everything. And so he always, he gets the email, so he gets this far, but then he insists on ordering the book and sending me a check. And then the other day we had some issue with the check didn't arrive and stuff. I say, can't you use some other means? He says, no, like all Taoists, I'm technologically incapacitated and I can't do this. And the only way is hard copies and, you know, I can't handle it. And it's like, what do you mean like all Taoists? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, there, there are other Taoists who are, you know, really up top level on the cyber world and who do all kinds of things online and, and who are very active, have embraced the internet. And, you know, for me, one of the arts of Im the immortals 
is to be in two places at once. And I love it because the internet allows you to do that. <laughs> you know, so you yeah, see, here I am absolutely. in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm also, you know, doing a, a, a talk with people in, on the East Coast, and it's like, yay! <laughs> yeah. So, so <laughs> I'm sure that you know some Daoists will say, yes, this is a very good idea. You know, let's work with this, and some Daoists will say, oh my God, no way! You know, we have to, and. Um, Another example, if, if I may continue along this line for another moment, is the modern developments of Taoism. We now have a bunch of Taoists in, this, in America who have trained with various Qigong and Taoist masters in China and do their own thing. And we have uh, several temples that are being built, many by Americans, um, some by Chinese who have moved here. And in my own scholarly community, there's a whole segment of scholars who just radically ignore these people. And you say, no, this is not Taoist. You know, in order to be Taoist, you have to have, you know, this lineage or that lineage and this certification or that certification or this ritual or that ritual. No, this is not Taoist. And it's like, excuse me. You know, how is it not Taoist? It's just the religion changes. People move from other places. They pick up new methods. And I mean, you can show historically how in the Song and Yuan dynasties, they did the same thing. People moved new places and they created new methods and some developed followers. And lo and behold, you had a whole new sect or a whole new school. But it's again, some say, oh, no, no, this is not Taoist. And some say, yes, you know, this is the new development. This is perfectly fine. Then you have different people will um, work differently. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's like a, a little bit of gatekeeping. Yes, that exactly. Get over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think this is our final question before we wrap up with our outro. Do you think there are any ramifications of radical life extension if we would extend life by, say, 500 Oh, yeah. I mean, years? it's a huge social issue. I mean, already prolongevity, prolongevity is already happening. And I, I do have, there's a volume, I think mm -hmm. it's called prolongevity. And I have an article on it, how Taoists would relate to this and how Taoist practices fit into that. You know, I mean, you already have issues that people have multiple families. So, so they, they have families in their 20s, families in their 40s, families in their 60s, and they had another one in their 80s. So you get this whole complexity, the whole social security, the whole idea of retirement is like, excuse me, you know, I'm 65. I don't feel like 65. I feel like I'm 40 and I got another 50 years to go. So, you know, you have another career. So you have multiple careers. So the whole idea that you go to college and you, you enter your work life by your mid-20s, that's going to be obsolete. I mean, why not go to college for 50 years and then have 50 years and another 50 years? And, you know, I mean, you, you hold the, mm -hmm. everything is shifting if people live longer. And we're not even looking at 500 years, which is totally boggles the imagination, at least for me. But if you're looking at, say, 120, 130 years, everything shifts. You'd have children. I mean, yeah. even I, mean, I have friends who are like in their 80s and their great grandchildren are starting to go to college. And it's like, you know, you're looking at, you know, it used to be two or three generation was your maximum. Now you're looking at five or six. <laughs> and then, then, then the other part of this is as the technology moves on, there's less manual labor that needs to be done and less work. So you need to figure out how you keep people 
not only financially supported, which then all of a sudden the government starts to pay money to people to live, but also how you keep them entertained. They need to do stuff. And people don't just want to watch TV. They mm. do want to be creative and productive. There's many, many shifts that, that are already starting to happen. That is um, a big change coming, yeah. Whether it be Taoism or immortality or even how to send you a check or whether to e-transfer you. What's one thing you really want people to well, take away Well, I'd like them to take away that Taoism plays an important role in this discussion, that it has a lot to offer in terms of not only whole conceptualization of immortality, but also the actual concrete practices, that many Taoist practices are very accessible. Um, they can be used on all the different levels. If you're already healthy, you can become healthier. If you have any physical ailments, you can use the method to um, get better. Um, it will help with life extension. There's a spirituality there that's very relevant. And Taoism is a very flexible religion. So if you're more philosophically inclined, you have all that. If you're more physically inclined, you have all those practices. And there is a plethora, a lot of, of organizational groups too that you could join. So, so it's, a, it's a very vibrant, viable um, and also cheerful religion. Taoists are very life-affirming. There's none of this, you know, my big guilt, like in Catholicism. And there's none of this, oh, everything <laughs> is suffering, like the basis of Buddhism. It's like, yay, you know, we're alive and we're having fun. It's a very positive, um, which is one of the things that attracted me to it. <laughs> it's a... Join the party. It's right, a join fun the party. religion, you know. <laughs> and so one of the main characters yeah. that are widely venerated um, today in Taoism are the eight immortals. And they're like a group, seven guys and a woman. And they're just having fun. I mean, they go out and party and they, you know, have magical powers and they have jokes and they play tricks and they're like funny. And it's like an enjoyable kind of, you know, life-affirming religion. So that's, I would like them to take away. They want to learn more about it. We have many books on Taoism on our publishing company, which is called Three Pines Press. You can go to threepinespress.com. My latest book is called Taming Time, and it talks about many different ways of looking at time, um, both comparative and in the Taoist tradition. And if you ever want to go hiking in Japan, contact me. And that would be great. <laughs> great. I feel like you already asked my question. I was going to ask yes. you where people can find more about you. There you go. So for all of you guys listening, all links or things we described will be in the description below. And once again, thank you, Livia, for coming on to our podcast. I'm Immortal, your source for all things Immortal. We really appreciate you taking Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure to join you.